Things like ransomware have not been discussed, and I think back then nobody could really imagine what kind of disease, quote unquote, also what kind of business this could have become as it is today. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. Today with me, I have a friend and colleague, Henning Christensen, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at Autobach. Henning, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Caroline. Henning, tell me about Autobach. What is Autobach? What sort of business do you do there? We're actually producing medical devices like uh, prosthetics, orthotics, wheelchairs, exoskeletons, um, so a lot of stuff that uh, helps people or specifically creates change in people's life. You know, there's there's maybe many reasons why or many, many, many risks and many, many dangers that lead to loss of, of parts of your body, like legs and arms and hands. Like, for instance, uh, as we've been speaking before about the war in the Ukraine, that is obviously also something where people get hurt and injured. And uh, yeah, some of the patients that come to us, we are in a position to help them with uh, prosthetics and um, that actually feels well. I've been told many times, specifically during my job interviews, that uh, obviously it happens very often that when people leave our building, patients leave our building, they're they are really happy about what has been achieved and what, what kind of uh, support and help they've received uh, from our products, but also not only the products, but also the people that help them use our products. So it's like uh, it's, it has a global footprint. We are doing business all over the place. I think 9,000 employees, if I remember well, coming from Germany originally, founded, uh, founded in 1919, just one year after World War One. I've joined uh, Autobock uh, last year in October at 21, so I haven't been too long with the, with the organization, but I've never regretted the move so far. It sounds incredible. You know, I think for, for folks who are experienced in their careers and senior leaders, you know, Henning, you are now a head of information security, a chief information security officer for the third time in your career. You've, of course, done this at different organizations, different types of organizations, and I look forward to discussing those with you. You know, but hearing you talk about Autobach, it feels really good. It, it's so clear that the work that Autobach is doing is making a positive change to people's lives. And how wonderful that the work that we do can help in that way. I'm thrilled to hear it. Henning, I wonder if you would actually tell us a little bit also about the other companies that you were head of security for. If you would tell us a little bit about what your experience was. And in particular, if you notice any big differences between the industries. Because you are not only medical devices CISO. You are not only a media CISO. You are not only a transportation CISO. Actually, you have quite a diversity of experience in terms of uh, the organizations, the types of organizations that you have been defending and protecting. Where to begin with? Yeah, the first time I became a CISO, that was basically uh, for, for Bombardier Transportation, known for manufacturing trains and train equipment, uh, also signaling. And maybe interesting to hear how, how this, uh, how this uh, came along. I joined Bombardier Transportation in early 2000 as an auditor as an IT auditor, senior IT auditor. And one of the first assignments that I had was to audit the information security, IT security in and, and that, and that organization. And um, I think it's not unusual that usually when you do audits, uh, you have findings. And uh, in, in this case, uh, as an auditor, you have to write recommendations and then you have to find people who 
take over accountability for management action plans because whatever your recommendations are will have to be agreed and accepted by the management and they will have to agree on a, to a due date uh, to implement those measure, measures. And there was not really somebody in place at this point in time dealing with information security at, at Bombardier Transportation. And so I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was told, but maybe I, it was, uh, maybe that was the case. The question was raised, well, if you know how to do it, because I had written the recommendations, then why don't you do it yourself? And uh, that was actually when I became responsible for information security for the first time. And it lasted for about 10 years in Bombardier, of course, um, I love trains. I loved trains as a kid uh, when I was playing with them, but also the idea or the notion that I'm still based in Berlin and I was based in Berlin back then. And knowing that all the trains that uh, you are seeing in Berlin have been built by this company, by this organization, Bombardier Transportation, was special. Made you made you very proud. And whenever I was traveling with friends that don't live in Berlin that have come to see me, then I was always trying to look for indications uh, saying uh, this has been built by Bombardier. And yeah, I was I was I was simply overwhelmed, and I was trying to impress also the uh, the people that I, that I was with back then. And uh, yeah, the organization as such, I think that was really the first time that it was working for an international organization. Bombardier had like, by the way, it's been acquired in the meantime by Alstom. So Bombardier Transportation as such is not really existing any longer. But back then, I think it was uh, 35,000 employees working all over the place worldwide. Also a global footprint. Uh, we work on all, on all the continents. And uh, yeah, as I said, that was really the first time that I was working for a company with, with an international mindset. Main language in our headquarter was was English and French also to a certain extent. Bombardier uh, is a uh, French-Canadian organization. Yeah, it was no longer German. And I had to deal with people from India, from Africa, from South America, from Canada, from the US, Mexico. Just an incredible experience and something that I will definitely uh, never forget. And uh, that is also something, the, the, uh, the settings, something which made my decision to change from Bombardier or to move from Bombardier to another company, Axel Springer in this case, uh, working in the media business, really, really difficult. But, you know, after, after 10 years working in the same company, in the same organization, things are wearing off to a certain extent, admittedly. And it's definitely worthwhile to reconsider whether you want to broaden your experience maybe by changing to another organization, though it's always connected to risk. Whatever you've set up, you've built up in, in the company that you've been working for before is something that you then need to give up and you never really know where you are going to arrive and whether you will be able to, to build the same backing, build the same network, the same have, have colleagues to the same extent that you've been before. So that is definitely something that you always have to bear in mind. But uh, yeah, Bombardier was uh, that was manufacturing. So cybersecurity and manufacturing back then, I think it was not as obvious as it is today that cybersecurity and back then nobody really called it cybersecurity to my to my knowledge is of importance. It's necessary. We have discussed so many things which are common sense today, but back then few people thought about it, and it hasn't become as problematic or as risky as it uh, as it's today so things like ransomware have not been discussed and i think back then nobody could really imagine what kind of disease quote unquote also what kind of business this could have become as it is today that really if you ask me i think that was that was really the beginning of uh, of cybersecurity then we moved on or i moved on rather 
to a media company that had to deal with a different challenge. Media company mainly selling newspapers, paper copies of newspaper, and an organization that had to realize and understand that significant parts of their business are offered by the internet for free. Also, um, that was... I think part of the fault of the media companies that they were offering their the content of their newspapers on the internet for free. So all the readers were used to getting or gaining information from the internet for free. And that made it very, very hard for them to introduce concepts like paywalls. That was one part. And the other part is all of a sudden you had much more competitors who were actually born in the internet and who understood much more of the technology than a newspaper com a company could do. So that was also a change and transformation that we had to go through and at the same time understand that the more you do on the internet, the, the more you have to bear in mind or take to and take into account the risks that come with cybersecurity. And that was also was one of the reasons for me to move from a manufacturing company, train manufacturing company, to actually to a media company, which was working and was visible, highly visible on the internet. And also a, a company that was publishing newspapers, which are or tabloids, tabloids, which yeah, some consider famous, other consider infamous, you become much more visible and automatically you become subject to attacks because there are people around you that don't share your view and that do not like you and that want to make or would try to, to shut down the information that you are providing or the, 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 the articles that you are writing. And I just remember a case in which one of our tabloids was describing a, the leader in, in Turkey as a dictator. All of a sudden, we were facing DDoS attacks, which were originating from Turkey not from any official organizational um, states, uh, state organizations, but rather from people who felt offended by these headlines and amateurs in terms of cybersecurity, but amateurs who try to attack us. And that is something that I haven't really come across before. And, uh, and, and that is also probably something that newspapers in general with internet presence haven't had to face uh, before and which they simply had to, had to prepare for. That was, uh, was, part of the uh, challenges, part of the risks that we were facing. And there's many, many more. You were asking specifically what is the difference between the industries and, and what actually was the motivation for you to change from a manufacturing industry to a media industry. Yeah, actually, I was, I was looking for the risks and I was hoping that the more obvious the risk is, the more obvious it is for top management also to invest in cybersecurity measures. And that it also, I was expecting that it would become more easier for me to defend, to defend cybersecurity measures within top management or for top management. And I was probably also hoping to become more visible. Um, I was definitely hoping that cybersecurity and the role as a CISO was, would be would be more accepted as this might have been the case in a manufacturing company. I guess that being open and honest and, and very frank, I think that was part of the motivation back then to also decide to, to make a move to another organization, make a move to another industry. You could maybe also argue um, you can develop in different areas. You can develop in the, in the same company. You don't have to leave the company, but I'm really into security. Uh, when people ask me, what is it that you are doing? And I always tell them, yeah, I've been, I've been doing cybersecurity for, for 20 years now. And it's the only thing I can do, but at the same time, it's also the only thing I want to do. So that is maybe one of the reasons why I, I think 10 years is a decade is a, is a good time span. It's a good time period, but I'm also changing positions or moving to, to other organizations. It's absolutely incredible, you know, to be drawn 
to manufacturing and transportation and to look around and to know that the trains are something that now you have something to do with, to be in media and to be really on the forefront of just digital consumerism of information and, and the reactions that people have to the words that, that your organization puts out into the world. One of the things that I find myself noticing is both how thoughtful your career moves have been and how different from each other and how satisfying, I think, in different ways. I hear when you describe the roles that you've had, the leadership that you have run, I really hear a, a deep sense of satisfaction, you know, and it's so nice to hear that. Henning, I want to ask you a bit about, you know, now that it's clear for our listeners, you know, we have established your leadership, your expertise. I want to direct our attention a bit to the beginning of your career, because people may be asking themselves, wow, Henning, you know, his career, his jobs, they're so impressive, you know, but how did he get to this point? And so I wonder if you would tell us also about yourself as a young person. We know that young Henning liked trains. And how did you decide actually to study software development and get into that? And then, and then to go from a developer to an auditor? Those are decisions that I can assume from your LinkedIn profile that I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about. I'll do my very best, Caroline. You know, it's some time ago. I'm in my mid-50s now, and I'm not sure if I remember everything. But yeah, definitely. When I was finishing schools, there was uh, there were also courses offered uh, with regards to information science. And was actually, those were the first ones, and I also attended those. No, it was not mandatory. It was, yeah, voluntary. Obviously, I was always interested in computer science to a certain extent. At least it was fascinating to have those devices and to use those devices. Yeah, when I, when I finished school, I uh, had a year of military service. And, and again, I was serving at a radar station and there was a lot of um, computers around. And uh, there was also a position for, for people like myself who had to serve in the military back then where they could make use of their computer knowledge or know-how and could even extend it. So that was also very useful. And after that, after military service, and now we are in 89, if I remember correctly, I started my apprenticeship as a company and, and started business, studied business, business information science. I don't know whether that's really the proper term. But again, it was the IT department that was fascinating me. Uh, that's actually was the um, area in which I was specializing. And while I'm speaking, uh, there's a particular scene that comes to mind. I was, uh, back then we were working on the i-series of IBM AS400. I don't know how many of your listeners actually know what I'm talking about right now, but maybe some. And I know that some salespeople selling ERP software came around and I was so proud when I actually showed them that I was capable of recording entering passwords and using the, the, the lock-on mechanisms by just pressing a key uh, without really understanding and knowing that that fully compromised the security, the password security, user ID and password security of that system. At that point in time, I think security was nothing really that bugged me or that, that really was of interest to me. Yeah, so I finalized the apprenticeship also after three years and then studied business administration. So uh, yeah, I, I wanted to have a diploma or master as it would be called today and we are in the mid-90s now really moved moved away i'd say 
from information science. Uh, I was more focusing on accounting, on controlling, finance controlling, things like that. Audit also, but did not have to do much with uh, with information science. But when I you know, completed my studies, uh, when I had my master, it occurred to me that well, finance accounting was maybe not uh, what I was looking for. And so I started as a developer in an organization software house for uh, savings banks. But again, after 16 months, 18 months, I understood maybe not the right decision. I probably looking for something that is less detail, less technical detail. You know, I, I was working in a very specific environment with specific languages and uh, programming languages. It seems I wanted to avoid that I would have to do this all the time all the uh, on, in my professional career and at the same time my girlfriend moved to berlin and uh, started to work for an for an, for an audit company one of the big four and uh, i was working in hanover and that was like i don't know back then i think it was three to four hours by train and something that probably wouldn't work out so uh, i was looking for another job and yeah i became an it auditor with another big four company PricewaterhouseCoopers, and did that for three years and what was very fascinating in, in that job is that I was able to get to know much more people, much more environments, much more, much more challenges and industries in a, in a very, very short time frame. So I didn't have to really deal with the details too much. I could, could ask some questions, pretend to be very clever and pretend to know what the best solutions should be and could be and give some advice, try or pretend to be a consultant and, and things like that. Yeah, I did that for like three years and I think that was was also the time when I understood that information security is something that will become very, very important. And defending things is also something that is maybe that's maybe part of my character, if I may say. I also I played soccer a lot, uh, a lot when I was young, the European version of football. And I was more the defense midfielder. So taking care of protecting the own goal. And well, I, I don't know whether it's maybe over-interpreting a little bit, but it seems that defense or defending things is part of my character and that may be one of the reasons why I thought that information security or security as a whole but much more information security was, was looking very attractive to me. Now PwC that I think was in early 2000 when I left PwC for an internet bank that was uh, the predecessor of my or preceding position position for, for Bombardier Transportation. Then things happened as they, as they turned out um, today. It's an extraordinary story, and I thank you so much for sharing it with us. As I've been listening to you speak today, I am also myself walking down memory lane and remembering when we and a group of colleagues were together in California. Now this was 2018, so many years ago, it seems. And I am hoping that one day I will find my way back to Berlin and perhaps we can have a cup of coffee. It's uh, it's funny how these things work. Henning, I, I want to ask you a final question as we wrap up our podcast, which is you mentioned the stage of your life that you are in. What would you say if you were to meet a young version of yourself? What advice would you give to that person? Interesting question. I usually try to avoid giving advice to younger people <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm highly convinced uh, that people need to do or need to make the experiences of their own. Every once in a while, I think if I was young, could go back in time, if there was something that I would change Specifically, it usually turns out, no, I would not. There's, at least when it comes to professional uh, professional topics, professional things, because I'm 
pretty happy where I am. I don't know whether I would be as happy as I am if I had done done something different in the in, in the past. And I'm not saying I haven't made any mistakes. Far from it. I think I've made a lot of mistakes. I think what you need to do is at least to be open to learn from your mistakes. Well, first of all, seeing mistakes, understanding mistakes, and understanding that you could have done things in a different manner could have helped. And, and, and that's usually, that's that's helping a lot when you are facing similar situ- similar situations. You have the opportunity to again deal with, uh, with a similar situation. What kind of advice? It, it's really, it's, it's hard for me, <laughs> Caroline. Well, here, 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 first of all, first of all, I want to thank you for just telling me and telling us how you truly think about it. The questions that I ask in an interview like this one, they are simply a starting point to open up. And I think what I'm hearing, which I like perhaps even more than, you know, some advice specifically is, look, every person, you've got to just live your own life, right? There is a way in which perhaps a spin on or one interpretation of your response is to say, you do not need to follow someone else's path. You do not need to follow someone else's advice. And to know that you will make mistakes along the way and to simply be paying attention and to learn from them. And actually just to know that your life is yours and yours only, and it is no one else's to live except for you. And what a what a beautiful respect I hear from you about the boundary of your life and your decisions and your career versus someone else's, which is theirs to decide and theirs to make and not yours, which I, I think that in of itself is, it's a, it's a beautiful philosophy actually. And it's uh, maybe also because I really haven't been following career path uh, very strict. Looking at friends or colleagues, there's, there's many other people who have really been focusing on their career and really build a strategy around, a strategy around it. And uh, yeah, admittedly, I, I do admire them for the fact that they did and uh, that they were able to do that and uh, also were showing courage and will to do that. That is definitely something which wasn't the case for me. But yeah, I believed in what I did. I was convinced and I'm still convinced about what I did. Um, It's probably also the fact that I was very fortunate that I have a crush, (laughs) if I may say so, for for cybersecurity and that it has become such an important and and really major topic in our time. I know people have weaknesses or have, do like other jobs, other, they do have other preferences and uh, which are, if not of equal, but even of more importance, think people taking care of handicapped people or elderly people. I think this is something that is of utmost importance in my view, but it's not probably not being as recognized and, and certainly not being paid as uh, or rewarded as much as, as what I'm doing at the moment. So that is uh, probably also something that I can be very happy about. And that's probably also something that you have to acknowledge. Not everything in your career can be planned and can be achieved the way you want to achieve it. Uh, you At a certain point in time, you have to be at the right place in the right position. That is not, that's simply not planable. In other cases, you also need to be patient even if you think that your development career development has slowed down don't don't get too um, nervous about it and don't try to expedite everything under all circumstances in some cases it's also helpful to i wouldn't say wait and see but um, yeah look around look back understand what's going on and at some point in time take your decision and move on there's not really there's, there's not much of a secret i think it's it's more of an attitude it's it's more something that that comes from the inside and that is is probably part of your characters 
And like I mentioned at the beginning, some of my friends and colleagues and people that I've been studying with have been much more impatient, but had a stronger focus and had a more profile target, I would say, in their life. And we're also achieving very successful, maybe even more, more successful than I was when it comes to career perspectives. And so from that point of view, it's really hard to give advice to anyone other than really accept yourself, try to make sure that you, you find your way without really giving up on yourself giving up on your character, giving up on, on what you are. That is not always easy. Agree. Henning, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us your story, your sense of adventure, your passion for this industry. I'm so glad that you are on our side. Thank you. Truly, this has been such a pleasure for me. Thank you, Caroline, for giving me the opportunity. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt. We are a pen test as a service company, and you can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.